Hello, and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. We trust you'll benefit from our unique lineup of CEOs, generals, and leaders from all business sectors. Whether you're an aspiring, inspiring leader or a seasoned leader seeking further motivation, this podcast provides you with practical life tips, sound wisdom, and world-class leadership advice. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership Podcast. I'm very excited to have my guest, Craig Valentine, on this week. Craig's really inspired me over the years. Uh, his 52 speaking tips, uh, I, I used to listen to them years ago. And then eventually I managed to find myself on a course being trained by him to be a world-class, one of his world-class speakers coach. And now my wife is doing a similar thing. So it's great to have him on the show to actually share his stories, his experiences, his life and and what got him to do the work he does and why he touches the lives of so many people. Without further ado, I'll let him introduce himself a bit more. Craig, tell us a bit more about what you've been doing lately. Lately, I've been running a couple of courses. And first of all, thank you for having me on the call. I, for, for years, and I've said this, for years, I've been out there speaking and I've spoken in over 20 countries and I've been coaching people. But in 1999, I got a call from a guy who said, Craig, th this is Wade Randolph. And I'd like for you to coach me on my speech. And Jonathan, I think I told you this. I said, wait, I'm, I'm not a speech coach. I'm just a speaker. I wouldn't even know where to start. He said, I'll pay you. I said, that's a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> and Jonathan, I started coaching Wade, but I had really no idea what I was doing. But for some reason, he kept coming back. And as he came back, I got more processes and formulas and realized what was working for him. And then Wade spread the word. And all of a sudden, all these other people are contacting me for speech coaching, and I'm learning more processes and, and recipes and formulas. And eventually, I ran into my good friend, Darren LaCroix, who is also a, a world champion of public speaking. And he said, Craig, when you realize that you're also a speech coach, things will open up for you. And that's exactly what happened. And, and so I give people the advice nowadays, Jonathan, is jump into what you fall into because there was a reason you fell. And as soon as I embrace the fact that I'm not only a speaker, I'm also a speech coach, the whole world opened up. So to answer your question, I am running an inner circle for speakers where I'm coaching people on creating their own keynote speeches. And I'm also running a world-class speaking coach certification program where I'm now teaching people how to coach after I went through learning it for the last 24 years. Yeah. So th those are the two things that are going on right now. Great. No, well, and of course, speaking, of course, speaking, of course, the speaking. But um, I really enjoyed being trained as one of your uh, world class speaking coaches. And, and my wife is now very much enjoying it, Lee. Yeah, um, great. It, it, we talk about that. The theme of this is inspiring leadership. It's normally aimed at CEOs, CEOs, generals, special forces guys, but just people who've done interesting things like you have. And if you were to, in your own turn, uh, recommend two CEOs that you found inspiring, which two would you choose? And, and what was it you found inspiring about both these people? One of them would be Sue Schick. And Sue was with United Healthcare. She's no longer the CEO. I think she moved higher than the CEO. I didn't even know there was a higher than the CEO, but she's now moved on to do some other things. And I think what I found most inspiring about her was that she just always delegated and empowered her staff. Right. It was not something where, oh, I'm at the top of my game. She made everybody else feel as important or even more important than she did. She she gave them what I call the sheen factor, which is a, a short way of saying 
when I met Martin Sheen on the set of a movie, he made me feel like a million bucks. And I was just a little lowly production assistant, right? So when I met my speaking hero about a couple of weeks later, he made me feel like I was a production assistant, right? So which one would I want to follow? I want to follow Martin Sheen rather than follow my speaking hero, even though I have more in common with my speaking hero. So I think when people have what I call the Sheen factor, when they make other people feel more important, instead of walking around trying to show off their own importance, that's what Sue did. And that's what she does. And that's why I think she was so impactful. Yeah. And there was another another person, Carla, I think you mentioned. Uh, yeah. Tell us about Carla. Carla was working with Novo Nordisk and she hired me to speak a few times and come and do some training for her team as well. And this, this will sum up Carla in a conversation. I was on a pre-speech call with her where we just discuss what she wants me to do yeah and she had let me know that i was the 25th call that she had that day and i was like wow so before we hung up she said if you need anything craig just give me a call back and i said well carla if i call you back i, I don't want to be the 26th call for for that day for you <clears throat> and she said well even if you are the 26th i'll treat you like you're my first oh and I said to Carla, do you mind if I use that? <laughs> because I think that's a great point that no matter what you're going through, you always make that other people person feel like they are the most important person in the world. Because yeah. really at that moment, they are. Yeah. So those are the two similarities between Sue and Carla. They just made other people feel important and empowered. Yeah. What was Carla's surname, the second lady? Alizaire. Okay. That's Don't great. ask me how to spell it. I didn't win the world championship of spelling. Uh, <laughs> neither, did, neither did I. I'm dyslexic. And and that was, uh, this is Willow, by the way, if you probably gathered. Hi, Willow. The, the little, little uh, 10-month-old puppy. She likes to be part of the podcast. Is she a um, black lab? or She's a, a black working Cocker Spaniel. And, ah, uh, okay. She's okay. just she just had her first season, so she's feeling very snuggly and just wants to be part of what Dad's doing. No um, worries. Uh, so that's, that's good. So... The other thing that I'm really interested in, um, in all the, the different people you've met, you know, you've had a very interesting, you know, upbringing that's made you into the leader you are today. You've got some fabulous stories of your childhood. And, and as you were telling me earlier, you know, you're actually an introvert by nature. You had a bit of a stutter when you were younger. Um, but that actually has has made a huge impact on you and the and the man you are today, the way you inspire so many others. So tell us a bit about the people who've shaped you as you've grown up to be the person you are now. It wasn't a stutter, but it was a speech impediment. I'll, I'll tell you what happened. I, I was in the mall as a 10-year-old. I went to the mall near where I live, and I ran into a, a gentleman that, that I referred to as Mr. H. And he was a father of one of my friends. And he did something that changed the whole course of my life. Because as we're talking, he says, how you doing, Craigie? And I told him, he said, what's, what's going on in your life? And I told him, but he kept looking at me really strange. And again, I'm 10 years old in the mall by myself. And finally, he looked down at me and told me that I had a lisp. So it wasn't a stuttering. It was a lisp. You know what a lisp is, mm -hmm. right? It's a speech impediment. And he says to me, don't talk anymore because every time you open your mouth, you remind me of Daffy Duck. Wow. I think, Jonathan, that's where the introvert part came from. Yeah. I don't know if you're born with it or not, but from that day on, I for the next four or five years, you couldn't get a word out of me. Mm. 
And the popular motivational speaker, Les Brown says, when you open your mouth, you tell the world who you are. I don't want people making fun of me. So it wasn't really, Jonathan, until about four or five years later when I forced myself to face reality that I started going through what I now call the four R's to remarkable results. And I can stand before you as the 1999 world champion of public speaking. And, and the funny thing is, <laughs> about two months after I won the world championship, I saw Mr. H. I saw him outside of a, a place where I go work out. And he came over to me and he, he said, I can't believe, I, he read my articles that were about me. And he said, I can't believe that at the tender age of 10, some man would have the nerve to call you Daffy Duck. <laughs> did, you didn't put him out of his misery and tell him it was him, did he? I, I did. I, I was floored. I was floored. I told him, I said, Mr. H, I don't know how to tell you this, but it was you. Wow. Right? And he said it was me. I said, yeah, you don't even remember. He said, no, Craig, but I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But at that moment, Jonathan, I was angry. Mm -hmm. But something happened and something switched in my in my mind that let me know if he hadn't made me face reality that day, I wouldn't even be the world champion. I probably wouldn't even be a speaker. Mm -hmm. So I ended up thanking him. And then I joked around and I said, Mr. H, as far as you not remembering what you did to me, I think that's despicable. And we laughed, <laughs> we laughed right there in that moment. That, but, that was but, a breakthrough moment for me. Uh, but but it, you know what? If you think about it, Jonathan, Mr. H was my leader. Hmm? He was my leader. And that's something that I think inspiring leaders need to do is be willing and able to get people to face reality. Maybe not in such a harsh way that he did with me, but I think that's a very important point is to get themselves and other people to be able to face reality because that's the start of any change. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's, a, there's an aspect called radical candor where you do care about the person, but you are going to be honest with them. Um, the other one is is um, ruinous empathy where you care about them, but you don't actually say what you need to say. And so it's quite ruinous for them because you keep silent about the things they need to improve. So it's it's a fine line between them where you don't give a damn about them and you're very blunt with them. That's just obnoxious uh, in the way that you treat them. <laughs> well you know, when I was in prison visiting, <laughs> an inmate came up after my presentation. He said, Craig, I'm getting out of here in a few months. I'm feeling good about life. And I feel like I'm back on the right track. And I said, well, you know, there's an old quote by Will Rogers. who says, you might be on the right track, but if you just stand there, you'll be run over. So I left that day thinking, well, I'm glad he's back on the right track. But maybe, I don't know if you ever thought about this, Jonathan, but I thought maybe I'm standing still as a speaker. No, I don't know if you ever wondered whether you're getting better or worse at what you do. So I decided to call up this lady who's supposed to be one of the best public speaking coaches in the country. And I said, listen, I need a coach and I need to be coached by you. <laughs> she said, are you sure? I said, yes, I did my research. I know you're the one I want to coach me. She said, do you know how much I charge? She was British. <laughs> I, I said, it doesn't even matter how much you charge. She said, well, that's great. That's a wonderful attitude. That will be $4,000 per day. <laughs> I said, I'm pretty happy with the skills that I have. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but then for some reason, I, I got, I had this thought. So many people look at the price of doing something, but they don't look at the cost of not. So I actually went out and I got coached by a lady named Patricia Fripp. FRIPP.com. Go there, get something, tell her I sent you. She's, she's fantastic. And when I got there, Jonathan, she, uh, here's what I realized. She said, tell me the beginning of your keynote speech. So I gave her the first few lines and she said, okay, I'm going to recommend that you never start that way again. 
And for the rest of that, I actually went out there for two days. For the rest of those two days, she just made me face reality. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge turning point in my entire speaking career. And I came to the realization that Marshall Goldsmith later published, what got me here won't get me there. And what got you here won't get you there. Yeah, and I think my- that's something that that leaders need to help people understand. Face reality and then realize if you want to get to new heights, you need to take new steps. Well, it's interesting, Patricia had such a big impact on you and, and Marshall Goldsmith had such a big impact on me and trained me as a coach. Um, and, and yeah, he, he, like you, has a lovely sense of humility and humanity, but a great sense of humor. Nice. Tell, me, tell me some more stories about as you were growing up and the people who shaped you and why you became a, a world-class uh, champion in public speaking. You know, one of the things I started doing in probably 93 was just, I think I got addicted to reading, Mm. right? I just, I started reading and reading and reading and reading. And one of the books I read was by Shakti Gawain. And it was called, it it was Creative Visualization. Creative Visualization. So that book really shaped me because what I used to do, even as a speaker, not just as a leader, before I had ever given a speech in the mid nineties, I was an events planner. And one of the things I used to do or be responsible for, believe it or not, is setting up the stage for the speaker. Now, keep in mind, Jonathan, I wanted to be the speaker, but I'm the one taping down the power cords and moving chairs around and moving the lectern up front and moving more. They used to call me the chairman because I used to move so many chairs. (laughs) (laughs) But it never failed. Whenever I would walk into one of those ballrooms that was empty, I would walk up to the front. I would stand behind the lectern and I would practice my creative visualization and I would see myself speaking to an audience. And Jonathan, I always said the same thing to myself every single time I stood behind the lectern. I said, today I move the chairs, tomorrow I move the audience. Oh, I love it. And I've been moving audiences ever since. And And keep in mind, that was before I ever gave one speech. So I ask people now, you know, what, what are you envisioning? What is that stage you see yourself stepping on a thousand times mentally? Because if you do the mental work, you'll get the real world reward. So Mm -hmm. Shakti Gawain was one of those people who helped me just through her book. I've never met her, Mm -hmm. but I I use some of what she taught. And that that was a imagination is the best nation in the world. That's what I tell people all the time. Imagination is the best nation in the world. That that is such a good thing, and and it is. I, I found in your speaking and your uh, coaching of speakers and um, people to to coach other speakers, it, it's it's these short, memorable lines that stick with people forever. Imagination is the best nation in the world, and there's a, the story behind that. Yeah. And I was I was going to say, you know, in all the experiences you had in your life, a lot of these have shaped us. What's a, for you a dark moment that you had? There are things didn't work out as you wanted. And, and what did you learn from it? What was the story behind a moment like that? Well, one of them was the Mr. H moment. That was a dark moment because it changed my whole childhood. Right? <laughs> I stopped speaking up and so forth. But uh, another moment was, like, sometimes people don't like me because I joined Toastmasters in March of 1998. I got what's called my competent Toastmaster in March of 1999. And then I won the the world champion of public speaking in the first year, right? In my first try. 
And so people sometimes come up to me, they say, well, Craig, well, you don't even know what it feels like to lose a contest. And I said, well, yes, I do. Because I lost the humorous speech contest at the club level. Now, if you're not a Toastmaster, you got to realize that's the lowest level you can possibly lose. And I lost at the lowest level. And I'll never forget a, a seasoned Toastmaster named Alan Mish came up to me afterwards. And he said, and I'm feeling really down, you know, I'm like, I thought I was good, but apparently I'm not even good enough to get out of my club. He said, Craig, you can win the world championship of public speaking. And I said, what are you talking about? I just lost a humorous speech contest at the lowest level. He said, that's okay. He said, the only thing wrong with your humorous speech was that it wasn't funny. <laughs> I probably got the best laughs of them all. <laughs> so it kind of made me laugh, but at the same time, I was feeling really down because I thought I was good and I and I lost. But he let me know that hey, if you give that type of speech in the the world championship, you you can do well. So this is the lesson I take from that. And I know I'm just talking about speaking here rather than leadership, but it's a leadership lesson as well. When you fail at something. If you blame others, you'll never change, right? But if you take the responsibility and say, that was on me, then you'll change and you'll get better. And so I got better and I went out there and got into the international speech contest and won the world championship. I, I bring that up, Jonathan, because a lot of times I, I'll have people call me and say, I was Craig, I was in this contest and I lost. The judges didn't like me. And that's when I'll say, well, that, that person's never going to win hmm. because that person's never going to change. So I think in leadership, it's really important to lead yourself first. And I always tell people this, this is, this is, if you can see this water bottle here, mm -hmm. this is from the giant foods, right? I, I spoke to them recently and I spoke to them about leadership and I talked to them about, if you're a leader, aren't you responsible for the energy of your environment? And they said, yeah. I said, well, if you want people pointing fingers and placing blame, who does that start with? They said us. I said, exactly. If you want people taking responsibility, who does that start with? It, it, us. I say, okay, then one of the things you might want to do in leadership is share the credit and take the blame. Share the credit and take the blame. Mm. Because if you do that, then when people hit problems, they won't start blaming others. They'll say, hey, that's on me. I can do better. Mm. Lead yourself first. Yeah, that, that is so true. And it, what you just said uh, reminds me of one of the books by one of the Navy SEALs called Extreme Ownership. This idea mm. that, that we we take ownership, you know, the old adage of, you know, when the finger's pointing at somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Right. What, what are you going to own in this one? And you're so right. The, the, the tone is set by the top. If the fish rots from the head, if the if the leaders have an environment where they are bitching between themselves and blaming each other and not owning it, um, share the credit um, and take and, the blame and take the blame is, is a great, great attitude. Um, I, I always say I've never seen a positive leader with a negative team. Yes. Very no matter where I am in the country, I, I trained 50 CEOs in Sri Lanka. I've been around. I've never seen a positive leader with a negative team because they won't do as you'll see. They'll do, they'll do as you do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very important. That's why you got to lead yourself first. Yeah, I'm making a note of that negative team. Yeah, they they, they just somehow it, it it seeps out from a positive leader that they they draw to them a bit like a magnet. They draw to them other positive people who want to make a difference, and they begin to either change or change the people who are. If you can't change the people, change the people. You know, if you if you can't right. change their attitude, their attitude defines their altitude. 
um, is a lovely saying that I've always found very true. Then you have to change the people. Right. Um, thinking thinking back to you know all those experiences you had from a young man and and now the success you've had and uh, you know although the becoming the world champion was now twenty four years ago it's it's never going to leave you those those benefits that you've had from that if you were to go back in the delorean car uh, and meet the young craig valentine aged 16 mm. to 18 what bit of advice would you give yourself about what matters and what doesn't matter which might be relevant for young people today or parents who are listening and they've got sons or daughters who are that age 16 to 18 what what bit of advice would you give yourself that might be relevant for other people well, that's a great question. Going back to that age, well, if I knew I was going to end up being an entrepreneur, the bit of advice I would have given myself early would be build your list. Build your list of followers, build your list of subscribers. Because when I first started in speaking, a good friend of mine, again, Darren LaCroix, started alongside of me. <clears throat> and Darren was, every time he spoke, he had a clipboard. And he's, <laughs> he would have people put their name and email address on it if they wanted his newsletter. And that was the way he built his list. And he would always say to me, Craig, you got to build your list, man. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm an artist. I'll just speak and then I'll get hired to speak again. And that's what I'll do. And eventually I found out I was a starving artist, right? Because <laughs> your list is your business. But I still wasn't sold on it. And then Darren said, Craig, I'm going to put out a product and I'm going to send it to my list and see if I if, if anybody wants to buy it. I say, yeah, well, good luck. List schmissed. I don't need a list. He calls me after about three days and said, Craig, I just sent my product out and a lot of people bought it and I made $23,000 in two days. I said, what'd you say about that list again? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm really interested. <laughs> and, and I started building my list. And eventually I built my list so much that that's where pretty much all my business came from my speaking engagements, my coaching clients, my the people who buy my products and services. So I would have told the young me, start building your list. And if it's not even for business, start networking, right? Start network. If you're 15, 16, 17 years old, start building your network. And, and the way to approach them is important as well, right? One of the, my favorite books is The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. And one of the things he says is, don't come from what's in it for me, but come from how can I help you? And if you come from that way, you're going to build your network and every, everything that you do for them is going to come back to you many fold in the future. So I would give the young me that piece of advice. Don't try to do everything yourself. Build your network and do it by helping people. And then that reciprocity will come back around. Yeah, and and uh, on the course, um, it was lovely working with you and your and your buddy Mitch, and uh, with, with his marketing skills. I mean, the the two of you have got such a good list now of people. How do you manage your life now so that you have the quality of life for your family and yourself and your health and your fitness? So you're not all the time working, but you choose what you are going to do. How, how do you decide what you are going to do, what you're going to turn turn down or pass on to other people? Now it's more about what I want to do. You know, when you're first starting off, if there's a saying that you got do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. 
So I think what's most important for me, Jonathan, is to to say no, to know how to say no. <clears throat> it's funny because one person I'm coaching right now in my inner circle for speakers, she has a saying. I don't know if it's her saying or not, but she says, no is a complete sentence. Mm. So I have to be very guarded with my time. And there are certain times where people can't contact me. Mm. I'll give you an example. George Washington Carver, who is, if you can look up here, is right behind me. George Washington Carver is right here, and he was with Tuskegee Institute back in the early 1900s, even the 1800s, and he he also was a speaker. And so people would ask him, even back in the early 1900s, they were paying him, I think, $150 for a speech. That's a lot of money back then, right? And so to try to not have to pay him as much, people would say, well, what if we took you around and showed you the town and showed you a good time? How much would it be then? He said it would be 250. <laughs> and the reason he said that was because that's more work. So I, I kind of learned from him, you have to guard your time. So even when I go places, people say, can we take you out the night before we sp you speak? I say, no, I need that time to rest. Hmm. Right. So you said, being able to say no, is what allows me to have my family time and have my time at work as well. And, yeah. and I work from home, so I have to have that distinction. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm like you. Here I am working from home, uh, and it's a great joy because when it's finished, the, the two dogs who are crashed out will then go, you know, dinner time and they go out for a walk, or in the morning exactly. I can do all my training here and um, work in the gym, which the garage has been converted, or sit in the hot tub and then the ice plunge. You know, this is all it's quality of life, which quality allows life. which allows you to be more present when you're with your clients like we are now. You're with them rather than your mind somewhere else. And and I think you were telling me as you sort of talked about over the years and the miles that you've done in airlines to go from speech to speech to speech can be very draining. And so so you've learned how to how to manage that better so you don't burn yourself out because. I don't know. Have you ever had times when you or other speakers, you know, have burnt yourself out just by traveling and trying to get in all these speeches? I know one. of Yes, them. definitely. And that's probably why I started meditating, because mm -hmm. when I meditate, then that brings everything into balance. And I would suggest that for any type of leader as well, because you, you can basically bring your calmness to any situation. And so you just talked about being present. That's how I stay present. Because meditation gets me into that mindset where I'm going to be in that present moment with that person. And any leader can learn from that, you know, and instead of thinking about what's going on in the past or the future, you're right there present in that moment. So meditation was a, is a big, big part of my life. And I have a I have an app and <laughs> it's not to brag, but just to let you know the consistency, I am keeping track and I've meditated for one thousand two hundred and forty one straight days right so it's not something that i miss it is a part of my life and i'll continue to do it no it, it's great and i'm really pleased to and i i do that every day first thing that i use an app called calm or i use uh headspace um and, headspace and, and sometimes yeah. when i when i find uh, being an older man now i get up two or three times a night to to go to the bathroom and and mm -hmm. when i need to go back to sleep i'll listen to a sleep story or something like that which will just off right. i go um, so I, I think and it is. And if you think about what Stephen Covey talked about before, and this is for leaders also, it's renewal. Mm. You need renewal, but not just 
mental renewal, which would be reading books and things like that. You also need spiritual renewal. You need physical renewal. You need these different types. Because if you don't do that, you're going to be heavily off balance. And you sometimes are. you're consciously off balance, but no, you, you are, know you're doing it. You are so on the money there, Craig, because uh, for, for a charity, we have a charity that helps veterans who've lost their limbs and gone through mental health issues called Help for Heroes, mm -hmm. um, which is something similar in the States over there for you. But um, but my wife, uh, Lee, in her spare time, she doesn't get paid for this. She's the CEO of a charity called the Inspiring Leadership Foundation, which is for victims of violence against women and girls. And she does amazing work over the last nine years. I really respect all that she and the volunteers have achieved. But I was raising about £7,200 for them by cycling 500 kilometres in five days in through all the battlefields of northern France. Um, not all of them, because it would take me forever, but... Some mm -hmm. of the key ones, Agincourt and um, Dunkirk and the Battle of Eat from the First World War and things like that. But I found that it, now I'm in my 60s doing 100 kilometers day after day with no recovery, no renewal, as you were talking about. My, my little ring here, which records my readiness and my health and my sleep, was just going, uh -uh, you know, I was, I was dropping down right. and down and, and it was going, you need four days to recover. I go, I can't, I'm cycling in tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Mm. And, and it's taken me about a week and a half to two weeks to get back to normal kind of performance. And, right. and it's the same as you doing all your flights from speech that's, to speech. That's right. I used to be able to bounce back a lot quicker than I do now after these flights, especially the ones where I'm going overseas or, or ones with a, a big change in the time zone. Yeah. So taking care of yourself is very important Yeah, for, for any type of leadership position. I, I would so agree. Uh, next question for you really is, um, you, you've talked about defining moments in your life, but if there was something you could change in your life or there was a crucible moment that shaped you, you've talked a couple already. Is there any others that you'd have a story about that you could tell us about quite a defining moment, something that you learned something from? Sure. I... You know, I, 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 two days after I won the world championship, just going back to the world championship for a second, I was in the Chicago airport. And if you had been walking towards me, you would have seen my wife on one side of me and then me carrying, I'm looking right at it, this gigantic crystal trophy, you know, just walking through the Chicago airport. And Jonathan, everybody's looking at me like, wow, who is that? Right? I even thought I heard a lady say, is, is, is that Denzel Washington? <laughs> but I bet you I'm... get that mistake often, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very much like Denzel Washington. Yeah. But this is when I realized my life would never be the same. This petite lady in a pink dress runs up to me in the middle of the airport, and of course everybody's watching, and she starts reading the bottom of my trophy, and she said, "Hmm, 1999 World Champion of Public Speaking. Wow." say some things <laughs> <laughs> and I was speechless but that's when I realized no matter where I go in life people are going to say would you mind saying some things so I, I even went to the Bahamas one time and I went to a church service and I walked in and they said Craig I was shocked they knew who I was they said do you mind before we do our part you just giving us like a 10 minute speech I'm like how do you turn down God Right. So I don't know. So what I realized was I can no longer get ready to speak. I have to stay ready to speak. Oh, that's very good. And my yeah. motto, Jonathan, is don't get ready, stay ready. And that's not just a speaking model, that's a leadership model. 
because you're, the people who follow you will always have some needs. So don't get ready, stay ready. For me, one of the best ways to stay ready as a communicator is just what you mentioned before, have your collection of stories, mm. right? Mm. And not only the stories, but also what I call foundational phrases, which yeah. you're familiar with. A foundational phrase is, for example, don't get ready, stay ready. A foundational phrase is just like Marshall Goldman said, Goldsmith said, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. And the reason we have these phrases, even if you're just, if you're in leadership, not necessarily in public speaking, is so that you won't just be remembered, you'll also be repeated. Mm-hmm. That's very important. Good presenters speak to be remembered, great presenters speak to be repeated. And if you're in any type of business situation, you're going to want to not just be remembered, but also be repeated so people can repeat your message. And if you're in any type of sales situation, I always say when you get the buzz, you get the biz, right? So if you can not only be remembered by the person who you're, is a prospect, but you can be repeated, they can go back and repeat what you've said to their colleagues. And all of a sudden, you're going to get that business. So it's very important to be able to tell a story, make a point, have a foundational phrase that's fewer than 10 words that's not only memorable, but it's also easy for people to repeat. And, and do you find, you know, I've got a number of my CEO clients and they're, they're, tra- they're, they're quite data heads who, who are very good at solving problems and they love their data and their analytics and they're, they're very clever people, but they know they've not been able to tell a story very well about their brand or about why customers should be with them. Do you find you get people like that that you can help? I do. Yes. And I always have to let them know facts tell, stories sell. Facts tell, stories sell. And so one of the things I think leaders need more than anything else is to embrace the fact that when you're in leadership, you're in sales. When you're in leadership, you're in sales. I've found over time, Jonathan, the the most effective leaders embrace it. The least effective ones avoid it. And so when I'm talking to them, I say, the sad part is you only have to master one formula. And this is it. Never sell a product, always sell the results. Never sell a service, always sell the results. If you're in leadership, never even sell an idea, always sell the results. Here's the case in point. I think you know this story, but decades ago, I went to buy my first car ever in life. And I went to the dealership and the salesperson came up to me and he said, are you looking at that car? I said, yes, sir. He said, great. Let me tell you about it. This car has these types of brakes, this type of engine, this type of window, this type. Well, what's he trying to sell me? The car. Mm -hmm. And I tell my audience, I said, never sell a product, always sell the result. So I said, thank you, but no, thank you. I'm not interested. And Jonathan, I went to a different dealership on the same day, different salesperson, same exact car. Now, I got to be honest, (laughs) Jonathan, this New salesperson must have understood where I was in my life at that time, you know, when I was young and single and uh, looking to mingle. And so <laughs> he came up to me and he says, are you looking at that car? I said, yes, sir. He said, mm, mm, mm. you're going to look good in that one. He said, yeah, man, you're going to be flying down the road. The wind's going to be blowing through your hair and the girls, let me tell you, the girls will be all over you. Jonathan, what do you, what do you think I did? <laughs> I said, where, where do I sign? Right. See, he made the sale not because he sold me the car, but he sold me the results. And he lied. He lied. I was I was I was lonely in that car. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the point, though. Never sell the product. Always sell the result. If leaders could just understand that, then it will put them way 
it would separate them from the majority of the leaders out there if they could just learn to not sell the product or the request, but to sell the result. I'll give you a quick example, and then we move on. I ask my audiences all the time, raise your hand if a year from now you'd like to be at least three times better than the presenter you are today. And every hand goes up in every audience. I say, okay, great. Then for absolutely free, for no fee, you can go to one of my websites, which is 52speakingtips.com. That's 52speakingtips.com. And every week for a year, you're going to get an audio lesson from me. And by the end of that year, you will be at least three times better than the speaker you are today. And they get happy. So then I say, wait, hold on. What was the result? They say three times better. I say, yeah. What was the resource? They say the website. I say, yeah, exactly. I said, which one did I mention first? Somebody always says free, by the way. Somebody always, <laughs> always say free. But I say, no, it's the result. So here's the addition to that formula. This is very important for leaders. Never sell a product, always sell the result. Always put the result before the resource. And if you're in leadership, state the result before the request. If you can state the result before the request, then it gives people a reason to want to take action and, and do that request. Mm. And so I, you know, I, I might say to somebody, if I'm a leader, how, how would you like to get more responsibility with the possibility of moving up and, and making more income? And they say, yeah, exactly. I say, okay, what I need you to do is take on this project, right? So I want to give them the possible results before I even give them the, the request. Yeah. If leaders can do that, they'll be they'll separate themselves from other leaders. Yeah, no, it, it, your ability to capture what um, excites people and motivates them in a, a few words or a saying is is very powerful. Um, linked to that, really, is I'm going to go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass, just pick out a few of the areas that we found, Lee and I, in the in the compass and the research that we've done over the last 20, 30 years, makes high performing leaders and teams and and one is people's values, their moral compass, their, their moral question. And my question on that one for you, um, what did you learn when you let your own values slip? What did you learn and how did you adjust? When I let my own values slip, I think I learned that You've got to be, and this is something I learned from Stephen Covey, highly effective, seven habits of highly effective people, that you, you have to be principle-centered. Mm. You got to be principle-centered. Like, I give you an example. You know, I'm a former athlete too. I was a collegiate athlete, and we we're very competitive people, right? Let's say somebody does. Here, here's a better example. After Patricia Fripp. <laughs> I probably shouldn't put her out there like that. But after Patricia Fripp trained me and coached me, what I wanted to do was impress Patricia. Yeah. Right. So we actually became business partners at one point with her and a couple other people. And I just wanted to impress her. So I would get up on stage and I was trying to impress her rather than touch the lives of my audience members. And Jonathan, that's when I learned that my values had slipped. Mm. Right. Instead of being there for my audience, I was there to try to impress Patricia. Mm. And, and so I wasn't making the impact that I used to have. I'll give you another quick example. When I first won the World Championship of Public Speaking, I think about a year later, I got to speak to this Toastmasters district, and it went really well. About six months later, they invited me back to speak to them again. 
And I was like, I'm going to knock this out of the park. They're going to see how good I am from the last time they saw me. And I got up on stage and I rocked it. And this is back when you do remember VHS tapes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so afterwards they handed me the VHS tape and I went back and watched it. And I was like, I want to watch this home run that I just hit. And I was horrified because I realized that I was completely on stage for me and not for them. I could have given that speech without them even being there. And I just sat horrified. And I said to myself, I will never, ever again take the stage for me. It will always be for my audience. So the thing I say to myself, and this is a value, before I take the stage is, may I forget myself, remember my speech, and touch my audience. Mm. So I think anytime you find that your values slip, you're going to see that there's a consequence and you're going to need to self-correct. But hopefully you can turn that adversity into an advantage for the future. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do with it when it came to public speaking. Yeah, I do love that. Remember, forget myself, remember my speech and touch my audience. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get I, that. Don't don't get that wrong. <laughs> or in the wrong way. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah, whole yeah. different message. But yeah, I, I want to forget myself. Remember yeah. my speech and touch my audience because I'm not there for me. I'm there for them. And this is the problem with too many speakers is they're very ego centered. Now, you've got a lovely way of of telling stories which involve you and your story. That makes it very real. People can relate to it rather than telling about somebody else. And then you always have that lovely twist where you just laugh at yourself. And and it's it's (laughs) so it's so endearing, so appealing because because particularly for us Brits, we see there's a bit of brashness in our American cousins. And, and and not an awful lot of humility. But on the other side, the Brits go over the top with the understatement and, oh, it was nothing really. You know, what have you just done? Oh, just a little mountain turns out to be Everest or the famous yeah. American <laughs> general who was in charge of the British brigadier and his brigade who were just on the border with China and a million Chinese had poured across into Korea in the Korean War. And they completely surrounded the British. Um, They're just swarming over millions of people against like about, um, I think they had about um, 3,000 in the brigade. And the brigadier um, on the line, and he spoke to his American opposite number, and he said, uh, you know, how's it going down there, boy? He says, uh, things are a little sticky up here, old boy. <laughs> and, and, and so the American said, yeah, well, you just keep going, man, and, and rang off because he thought it was okay. It was just a bit sticky. Right. But it, right. they were being overrun right. with billions of Chinese. So let's not understate. Um, purpose but, and meaning. And, and, and I, well, last time I went there, last time I went to London to speak, somebody told me, you do know about the British Reserve, right? Yeah. And I said, what is the British Reserve? They said, you know, we're kind of laid back. And we, and I, I, I didn't see it. Yeah. I didn't see it. So I think maybe my humor didn't go across the ocean. And, I, and I think it does. It, no, it and does. make it with me. So it, it just it, it was a great two days. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. No, I, I, I definitely think, did. Yeah. I, I think there's a, a much more of affinity between the Brits and the Americans, and and the and the the crossover and the the, the laughing at ourselves and each other. Um, and I think also with leadership, it's the same as speaking. Like you have some leaders that have big egos. Yeah. And I always say, like the sheen factor to me is, if you're a leader, if you want people to respect, admire you, and want to follow you. Don't walk around trying to show off your own importance. Walk around reminding people of theirs, mm. right? When I met my speaking hero and I and I was going to introduce him to this audience of about 500 people in Baltimore. And I said, oh, and, I, and I, I was nervous, Jonathan. So I went out into the hallway before 
I introduced him and I just, and I ran right into him. It was just me and him in the hallway. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm Craig Valentine. And because I won the world championship, they're allowing me to introduce you today. This is the greatest honor of my career. You're the man who made me want to get into this business in the first place. Thank you so much for being here. And Jonathan, he says nothing. And then he just looked at me as if to say, Psh, you don't belong on the same stage. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how that would affect you, Jonathan, but I was like, I'm, I'm about to get, he, he's about to get an introduction he didn't expect. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, but I realized that. And then, you know, so when I think about him and then I think about the way Martin Sheen treated me, I want to be more like Martin Sheen. I want to be the, the person who lifts other people up and, and looks at them as if they're already a champion. Yeah. And sometimes when you look at people that way, that's exactly what they'll become. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's no doubt about it. I, I still, to this day, and it was goodness, 20 years ago, maybe, when uh, I met Her Majesty the Queen to get my MBE. And she made me feel like I was the only man in the whole of Buckingham Palace. Now, there was a whole audience and there was a queue of people who were getting much more higher honours. They're getting knighthoods or damehoods or whatever it might be. But for my minutes to two minutes she was completely absorbed in me and made me feel like a memory I've never forgotten and the other person was Princess Diana who I met and again she had that same skill she was really genuinely interested in people and unable to connect and 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 you have that ability when you're with someone you can be really with them but to do with an audience is an even harder skill than one-on-one one-on-one takes a certain skill but but with an audience uh, you know pulling them in from different parts of the stage how, how do you do that dale carnegie i wrote i read one of his books and he said public speaking should be one-on-one -on -one enlarged yeah. right so it should feel like you're speaking not to a group but to individuals so one of the things i do jonathan is while i'm speaking i'll actually mention people's names you know i'm in the middle of my speech i say right jared and and, and so i'm pulling in different people and it's reminding me that I'm speaking to individuals rather than just this big group. And even my language is what I call, and I think every leader should use this. I call speak to one, but look to all. Speak to one, but look to all. And what that means is when you're on stage speaking to more than one person, you still want it to, to grammatically sound like you're speaking to one person. So instead of saying, how many of you did this? Or how many, I would say, no, raise your hand if you've ever done this. Raise your hand if you've done that. So it's going to sound singular, like I'm speaking to one, because I want every person in my audience to think, wow, it feels like Craig speaking directly to me. And you don't get that when you're saying how many of you all and, and y'all and uh, yeah. no. So I'm, I always check myself to make sure it feels and sounds grammatically like I'm speaking to one person. Now, how do you do that? You do what I call the hallway test. If you can walk by one person in the hallway and say it to him or her, that means you can take it up on stage. So for example, if I'm walking by you, Jonathan, in the hallway, would I say to you, how many of you have ever been to Baltimore? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. What I would say is, have you ever been to Baltimore? Mm. Right? So I, I check myself in that way. It's a, it's a huge difference maker because it makes everybody in the room feel like you're speaking directly to them. I gave a speech to about fourth, it was a commencement speech at the University of Phoenix. And to make things even more confusing, it was in Ohio, but I'm speaking and there are about 4,000 people there. 
And afterwards, I got a direct message from somebody on Facebook who said, I was in your audience. I know there are about three to 4,000 people there. I was not one of the graduates, but I have to tell you, sir, it felt like you were speaking to me. Mm. And that wasn't because of me. That was because of that recipe. Speak mm. to one, but look to all. Yeah. And so I always remember that. And I think speakers will be, but leaders, I should say, will be well off to follow that advice. It's it's great advice. And of course, there's so many courses in, in learning to become a good speaker. And you've got a couple of cracking books, which I've got here on my bookshelf, um, about you know the art of public speaking. Um, but how about listening? Because many speakers are good at transmitting. They ain't so good at really, really listening to the other person when they're speaking back to them or an audience might make a comment to them. What's been a skill that you've developed about really listening to people? I learned this from Stephen Covey. Again, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. When he talked about seek first to understand, then to be understood. And one of the ways he did this was reflect the feeling and rephrase the content. So I like to rephrase what people say to me so that they know I understand it. So for example, let's say I'm working with a client of mine and a client wants, you know, he, he wants to give a speech. And I say, well, why, why is it important for you to get that message out there? And the client says, because I want people to know that they can't change others without changing themselves. And I were phrased that. I say, oh, okay. So it's important for you to let them know that they have to lead themselves first. And they say, yeah, exactly. That's what I, so it helps me stay on track with them. If I can reflect the feeling and I can rephrase the content, right? If I'm reflecting the feeling, it will sound something like this. If, if somebody says, Craig, I don't have enough time to, to, to do this. It's just, it's making me, it's, it's, it's killing me because it's not enough time. I said, wow, it sounds like you're really frustrated that you you, you don't have enough space for this. So I'm reflecting the feeling and rephrasing the content. And if I can do that, then I, kind of know that I'm on the right track with them, right? Very rarely will I rephrase them and they'll say, no, that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> and what, what that does for them is it makes them feel like, wow, this person really is listening and this person really does understand me. Hmm. The analogy that Stephen Covey used was if somebody's coming out of a burning building, what's the first thing they need? Air, Right. They, they need air before they need anything else, before they need somebody pointing them in different directions and giving them different, they need air. And when you can reflect the content and rephrase the, uh, I'm sorry, reflect the feeling and rephrase the content, you're giving them what he called psychological air. And you'll literally a lot of times see them do something like this, Jonathan. Yeah, it's exactly what I mean. So it, it'll, they'll, you'll give them that breath. So when it comes yeah. to listening, I, I want to listen so that I can rephrase what they say to me and we can stay tracking with each other. Yeah. Really. And I think that's a great gift to give people. I think gift so. of listening to them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so rare. And for people to feel heard and to feel seen right. is a great skill of a, of a speaker, but also one-on-one, -on -one, isn't it? As a leader. It is. And I'm glad you brought that up because when it comes to public speaking, I always tell people, your audience wants to be heard and they want to be seen. So there are different ways to make them the stars of your presentation. A lot of times I'll say something. I'll give you an example. I was telling a story about you're always to something to someone. 
right? You might be too big, too small, too black, too white, too this, too that, too Dallas Cowboys, too Dallas Cowboys, you know, you always do something to someone. So I say, raise your hand if you felt like you were too something before and people would yell out things like too small, too loud, too this, too that. And I remember a guy in Minnesota said it too handsome. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And, and obviously too humble. Right. But at that moment, <laughs> at that moment, that guy becomes the star of the speech. So one of the things that I learned from Steve Jobs was just because you're the speaker doesn't mean you're the only one who should be speaking. Let, let other people talk as well. So I think you're right. It's important to make people feel important, but it's also important to make people feel seen and feel heard. And what the advice I give to leaders is this. When you make them visible, they'll make you valuable. Mm. Mm. so make them visible and, and you touched on something there which is sort of humor and making use of the audience i mean sometimes when i watch some of the comedians on some of the live comedian shows they sometimes will rather ridicule or make a mockery of someone who's tried to tear them down and and they you know mm. see it as a bit of a challenge to tear the other person down um but of course that's not so much your style but you I notice in any of the things I've watched you do that that you do um, involve the audience an awful lot, whether it be anybody, you know, raise your hand if you've had this kind of thing or, you know, right. can you ever remember a time when, when it might be? And so many people go, oh, yeah, yes. That's a real skill, isn't it? To, to find something where people go, yeah, me too. Yeah, that's, that's, yes. that's this relates to me. What's your, I, I what's learned your this. I shared, the, I shared the stage with Charlie Tremendous Jones, who is a legend in the speaking industry. I shared the stage with him about a year before he passed away. And he just touched my life profoundly. And he said to me, Craig, don't get your audience to listen and memorize. Get them to think and realize. And so from that moment on, I started putting way more pieces for them to reflect in my speech so that even if I'm telling my story, they're reflecting on their life. Mm. And so that's a very important thing to do is to, as Fripp said, wisdom comes from reflection. So I want to give people time to reflect. By the way, with Charlie Tremendous Jones, he always says, you'll be the same person five years from now that you are today, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. Mm. Now you talk about integrity. This guy is a year before he passed away. He gives a speech and then I got to follow it. So I give a speech. He's sitting in the front row, clapping, being just like a, a great audience member. And afterwards he comes up to me. He says, I want to buy your program. Cause I, you know, I was doing back of the room sale. I said, I said well, I want to buy yours. So we traded. But what, what got me in that moment was here he was, whatever age he was, and he was still anxious to learn. And I think that's something that leaders need to be aware of as well, that just like we said before, what got you here won't get you there. There are always new tools, new strategies, new techniques, and new ways. And up until his dying day, Charlie Tremendous Jones, who had this huge library in his house, was continuing to learn. And so that just touched me and it let me know, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to be like that. And I also want to treat people the way he treated me. Well, well you touched on something which is always interesting to me with about legacy, Ch Charlie Tremendous Jones and the legacy he's left with you, the impact on you. What would, Craig, what would you like your legacy to be in your lifetime? You know, how would you like to be remembered? 
Well, my signature story is, I'll just say it really quickly. I think the number one thing that stands between most people living their dreams is not what most people think, right? See, I used to work for an internet company and I wanted to go full-time into professional speaking. That was my goal. That was my dream. I always ask my audience, by the way, raise your hand if you have a goal or a dream or raise your hand if you want to do anything in life. <laughs> I say, me too. So I, I went to the vice president. He was a young guy. He, he actually looked like a young David Beckham. Right. So I said, look, John, I'm going to be leaving because it's always been my dream to be a full time professional speaker. He said, that's your dream, Craig. I said, yes, it is. He said, well, that's great. I really admire you for having one, but you can't leave. And I said, wait a minute. What do you mean I can't leave? He said, well, Craig, we've been thinking about it and we're going to raise your salary up to this. Now, Jonathan, salary means the same thing where you are, right? Mm -hmm. OK, <laughs> I said, well, you see my dilemma. I said, well, John. This is not a financial decision. This is about my dream. In fact, I call this a dream decision. He said, okay, I understand. I really do. But how about if we raise your salary up to this? I said, this is not a financial decision. This is a dream decision. Jonathan, he raised it four times. I kid you not. He kept saying, we're going to raise your salary to this. I said, this is not a financial decision. This is a dream decision. He said, okay, Craig, how about if we raise your salary to well above $100,000? And I said, dreams are overrated. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was I went home and I talked to my wife. And after she said, take the money, fool, <laughs> she actually kidded around. And then she looked at me and she said, Craig, I don't care how much they try to compensate you. Your dream is not for sale. Your dream is not for sale. And Jonathan, I went back in there the next day. I looked the vice president in his eyes and I said to him, my wife said my dream is not for sale. <laughs> <laughs> and so the point I get across to people nowadays is, is that's the number one thing that gets between most people living their dreams is not something bad. It's something good that we settle for. A good job, a good relationship, a good speech, a good life. And sometimes the enemy of the best is the good. So I try to get across to people nowadays that no matter how good you are, don't let that good get in the way of the best. And no matter where you are in your life, remember the words of my wife, Casey, your dream is not for sale. So what I would want written on my tombstone, Jonathan, is your dream is not for sale. That's a great one. Love it. Greg, we're almost at the end of our time and you, you have to scoot shortly. Um, just a final one uh, before we do the two-minute top leadership tip. Um, what about books that you'd recommend? If there was a, a couple of books, what would you recommend? Yeah, it depends on what topic. But for leadership, I would definitely mm -hmm. still recommend the, se uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm -hmm. I would recommend From Good to Great. Mm -hmm. And... For leadership, I would also most likely recommend. See, I'm 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 like an oldie but goodie. I would also still recommend How to Win Friends and Influence People mm -hmm. by Dale Carnegie. Those ones I think are timeless. Yeah, I would agree. But the one I learned the most of from in terms of content and and the ways to do things was Stephen Covey and highly, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah, it's it, great strategies. It, it still is a, a great one. Craig, finally, would you, this is going to stand in its own right, would you just introduce yourself, say what you do and um, mention um, your speaking uh, career um, and share with us a top leadership tip just to finish off? Okay, I'm Craig Valentine. I'm a professional speaker and a speech coach. 
and I help people keep their audiences on the edge of their seats, make them glad they came and get them to take the exact next step you want them to take afterwards. As a professional speaker, I help leaders uh, become the type of leader that others respect, admire, and want to follow. And I, I help people present with impact and persuade with ease as well. So a number of things that I do. I do think the top leadership tip for me is to make sure that you don't sell the product and you sell the result. We talked about that before. Uh, if, if there's another one I can tell you, <clears throat> it's make sure you get great at having yourself and other people face reality, right? Think about it in this way. I'll leave you with this. I, I'll ask you, Jonathan, raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand, but do you, you feel like reality ever hurts? Mm -hmm. Yep, very much. <laughs> and now it probably wouldn't affect you because you do all the bicycling and, every, and everything. But I asked my audience, have you ever stepped on a scale <laughs> and been forced to face reality? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And I tell the story about how when my daughter was six years old, uh, six months old, I should say, we were taking her to the doctor. And, and I, I asked my audience, I said, raise your hand if you have kids. Then you know the doctor's always going to measure their length and their weight. So the Doc walks in with his white coat and glasses. He takes Tori's length. And then he looks at my wife and me and says, since Tori can't stand yet and she can't seem to sit still, we're going to need another method to take her weight. How about this? Why doesn't one of you step out into the hallway, step on the scale with Tori, and then step on the scale without Tori, and then we'll take the difference as her weight? Mm -hmm. uh, now, Jonathan, I, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who just recently gave birth, <laughs> but my wife's looking at us like, oh, that's a wonderful idea for Craig to do. <laughs> I said, no problem. I know what I weigh. I said, give me my daughter. I took my daughter, stripped her down to her diapers. I'm feeling good holding my six month old daughter in my arms. And I looked down at that scale and I said, this is a fat baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the thing, you know, isn't it ironic that I'm blaming my daughter for carrying too much weight, but how often do we blame others for not carrying enough weight? Right. And so what I tell people nowadays is make sure, like you said before, or like I said before, that you share the credit and take the blame. Yeah. Because if you do that, people won't do as you do. They'll do as you say and they'll do the same thing. Again, I've never seen a positive leader with a negative team. So uh, I call it the 100 percent rule. I take 100 percent responsibility for my current situation, because that's the only way I can turn something that happened to me into something that happens for me. Brilliant. Well, look, Craig Valentine, it's a real joy to have you on this Inspire Leadership podcast and carry on uh, having your humility, your humanity, and a huge amount of humor. Thank you, Craig, for being on the show. Oh, thank you very much, Jonathan. And, and say hi to Lee for me and pet the dogs for me. <laughs> I really appreciate being on the show. It was a real honor. And I'll just leave you with this again. Your dream is not for sale. Thank you, Jonathan. Fantastic. Thanks, Craig. Thank you for listening. We hope we've ignited your curiosity and broadened your perspectives. My guests and I provide this service to you for free. All we ask in return is that you share it now with one other leader you know, so they also benefit too. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your podcast platform. We value your feedback and invite you to connect with us through my website, jonathanperks.com, where you can sign up 
for your weekly podcast newsletter. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and thank you for joining us on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. You can hear another unique guest next Tuesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.